is April 19th, 2015. I'm Matt Honey, and this is Tracy Harris. Howdy. How are you? Okay. So we're back after a few weeks hiatus and some crew changes and all kinds of stuff, but I need to let you know uh, that we're not currently live streaming over Ustream for today, uh, but it's still at Channel Austin, which I guess you might know if you're actually hearing me. And uh, maybe, I don't know, let other people know who might have tuned in through Ustream that we're, we're streaming through Channel Austin today only. Uh, running with a skeleton crew, there may be audio issues, we don't know if the phones are working yet. Uh, and uh, we, you know, it could be a, a mess, or it might be the most awesome show ever. Yeah. Don't know. The joys of public access TV and live TV. But uh, you want to actually start off talking a little bit about religion and family. While yeah, we, yeah, I did. So, you know, this weekend I'm going to be doing Reason Con, the weekend coming up. Yes. So, North Carolina, here we come. And uh, I think me and Beth will both be out there. And the topic that I'll be speaking on is religion and the family. Um, and I was pulling a lot of viewer mail that dealt with family issues, like people that had contacted us with mm -hmm. concerns about family. And in churning through all of that, you know, just kind of seeing the, the themes and the patterns that keep recurring, um, it became, I, I kept trying to articulate, I guess, the point that I kept seeing that was annoying to me. And finally, I was able to really look at it and say, what's bothering me here is the way that you know religion seems to try to own the healthy family, like the family values and right. you know the uh, family model and all of these uh, things about family that, uh, especially fundamentalist religion, promotes as you know having the best answers to. It's uh, ours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The family is just yeah, and anything that deviates is is wrong, is bad, it has to be squelched. Um, is problematic in some way. But what I noticed is the, the religions that are most hardcore in claiming ownership of the family and family values seem to be the least family-oriented in the sense of rather than using their religion to actually uh, encourage family togetherness, they use the family to bolster the religion. So they're... They're actually using family ties, like parental authority and you know children's uh, desire to please the parents, and uh, people's fear of losing those bonds or upsetting other family members living in a house where you have to get along. All of those things that are inherent to family life seem to be put to task um, in making sure that the family members adhere to the religion. They're, it's it's used in a coercive way to make the family members behave and stay in line and conform to generally what, uh, I want to say generally what the parents are promoting in the household, but sometimes uh, some of these letters are, are actually situations where the parents don't agree, where you may have a father or a mother who have deconverted and they're afraid to say anything. No, no one in the family knows, and they're terrified that their spouse is going to find out and divorce them. And this, to me, is uh, the idea of them understanding that in that family, the family that they have set up and been a part of, that if they deviate from the religion, they will be out, like outside of that family. They will be, suffer consequences. They will 
potentially lose those family ties. They could be broken. They could be strained. And it seems as though the religion works in these particular instances. Like I say, it's mostly the fundamentalist sects, the people that are most interested in in the religious uh, conformity that are utilizing the family in this way. So they're less. So, so, so religions are often. I don't know if it, it's fair to say they're giving lip service to caring about you know a good healthy family. Yeah. It may be that the the primary reason for caring about a good healthy family is uh, to ensure that there's a healthy family participating to bolster religion. And yes. When the family begins to crumble, then you you cut off the dead branches. Type yeah. Thing. Yeah. I even found one um, one website that I'll be talking about uh, this upcoming weekend where. This is actually stated outright, where they basically say the purpose of the family is to go out and promote the religion. And I was just like, wow, you know, th- there it is. Like, this is what I've been seeing over and over again. And here is, here is a, a religious website that just basically says this is why you want, like, a healthy, religious-minded family, because that's the way to go out into the world and promote God to everybody else. Yeah, I'd say there was definitely, uh, definitely an aspect of that in the kind of Southern Baptist tradition that I grew up in. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it's not overt. And uh, No, and I don't even think the people that are doing it understand that they are using their families as basically tools of the religion. I don't think they understand <coughs> that in the... Well, I think they would think that that's a good thing. Um, I think that they might think it's good, but I also don't think they would necessarily immediately agree to it. I think that they would say, you know, no, religion is, is making my family better. And it's like, no, your family is promoting the, is being used to promote the religion. Um, and, and it only flies when everyone conforms. The moment there's like an ounce of nonconformity, suddenly the family starts to strain. The religion doesn't strain, the family strains. And the people that don't, can't conform, uh, those are the people that are going to suffer the most, but really the, the whole family structure suffers. Yep. And I've spoken to Foremans, former Mormons, who talk about <laughs> how, how they were basically that. instructed to make sure that any issues that they had in their family, anything that wasn't going particularly well, um, was never made public. You know, they had a public face that they had to present to everybody, and they needed to do this to ensure that the church didn't get negative attention. Because if it comes out that, you know, whatever religion, Mormonism, it's Southern Baptist, whatever denomination, if if it if you have a, a parade of uh, families in distress, then that looks bad for the religion because it's yeah. purportedly able to make your life and your family better. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of that in the in the letters that we get. Um, there's a whole lot of people hiding the fact that there is a strain on the family. So some of the people who've actually come out and faced that strain or confronted the family and said, look, I don't believe this, and then had to deal with that fallout, mm-hmm. there's a lot of situations where when that fallout hits, the response from the rest of the family is, you just keep it quiet. Like, don't say anything. Don't tell, don't tell your brothers and sisters that you're an atheist. Don't talk to the children and tell them you don't believe in God anymore, husband or wife, you know? Yeah. And so there's this idea that of secrecy and um, dishonesty that is then bred because they can't allow the person who is not conforming to the religion to be open because they are afraid that might influence other family members. And so they end up basically coercing children if they live at home or cause, you know, threatening spouses, uh, one another, um, with 
disharmony in the home should you tell the children or should you speak to the children about this? I'm taking them to church and I don't want you questioning this in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's this whole idea of I don't, it's not so much that you don't believe as that you, you may not conform. So don't believe and that's fine. Just keep conforming and we'll just keep pretending that everything is, you know, in line with the religion and we'll proceed like that and it'll all be fine. You just have to lie. And I think that, you know, looking back, I'm not, I'm not completely sure because there was very little disagreement on these issues at the time that I was in the family. But if you think about political issues, mm-hmm. you know, I have family members who are going to disagree on various things. And I, my recollection of this may not be accurate, but it seemed to me that if we disagreed on something that wasn't a clear part of the religion, like where money should go, you know, right. where the government should be spending money, uh, then there was not any, you know, this hush-hush or you, you had a disagreement. You may think that the other person's an ass and you don't talk right. to them, whatever else. But if you had a disagreement on a political issue that was also tied up with what the religions believe, maybe it was abortion, maybe it was, you know, some issue along those lines, um, then it wasn't so much a keep it to yourself. It was you're no longer uh, cor- biblically correct. You're no longer uh, in accordance with our religious beliefs, and that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that while you could probably find examples of families using other other things, I would say probably even weird things like, you know, love of sports or love of some kind of gaming or something. There might be families that are into that to an extent that when someone doesn't participate, they feel left out. So I'm not saying that, you know, only religion can do this, but I think that when I think about other things that cause these types of rifts, generally speaking, I don't see it happening as frequently or with the magnitude that it happens in the family. There, I think uh, close to it might have been, like years ago, uh, racial issues, like if somebody were to right. date or marry somebody outside the race. Um, you might that might be competitive with this. Which, you know, still happens, as yeah. does the, you know, having a gay kid. Yeah, that that will that will cause issues. But when I thought of that, what interested me was that's usually causing issues because of religion. Right. So it, it's you know that's kind of an interesting. I had thing relatives too. Uh, who were against interracial marriages uh, because they thought they were ungodly. You know that this was yeah. they, they had a religious reason until a, a a couple joined their church. And then they got to know them and interacted with them. And then all of a sudden, not only were they fine with it, but God had evidently you know, either changed his mind or God had, they had misunderstood yeah, what God they, wanted. Yeah, they weren't understanding correctly. And so it, it got removed from the yeah. list of religious issues for which I will ostracize you and think you're terrible yeah. uh, just because of one nice family. Yeah. And, and, and the, this, is, uh, this is made clear. I mean, it's interesting to me how many people write in not having come out basically understanding that there is a principle already at work in the family that you don't come out with yes. this. And so the family builds this environment of fear that is set up to prevent the person from feeling comfortable ever coming out with something like this. So it's almost like this weird inoculation against it to basically say, we want to set up the family in such a way that if one of our children or one of the spouses or you know anybody involved... Um, starts to deviate from this, they know yeah. not to say anything. They know there's a risk. And, they, yeah. and, and there's, 
Uh, we hear this all the time from people who are either talking about coming out or they're just transitioning. There's a reason why Recovering from Religion has the hotline project, mm -hmm. which is now live. So if you're in this situation where you're having difficulties with a transition, uh, either from you know religion to not a non-religious worldview or just trouble in general along those lines uh just look up recovering from religion hotline project and there's somebody you can call who can you know direct you to resources because we've seen people we've seen families essentially uh run out of town we have seen people kicked out of their homes cut off from their families cut off from their social networks and support groups there's there's a real risk to it, and one of the things that I, I say when I talk to people about potentially coming out is make sure you are comfortable with all of the potential risks. And, you know, if if you think that your life is likely to be worse afterwards, um, then, you know, maybe hold off. Wait until we, com you know, continue changing the world so that there's perhaps less risk yeah. involved. And I've seen both. Like, I've seen people that have contacted us to say, my family will freak out. And then they write back later and say, I told them, and, it, you know, they were freaked out for a little bit, but they chilled out, and they're taking it much better than I thought. And then we get other letters from people who are like, you know, I think my family would be okay with it, and, oh, my gosh, then I told them, and it wasn't okay at all. Like, it was a nightmare, and I wish I had just kept my mouth shut because now everything is, like, just crushed. My parents hate me. So we it, sometimes it can be difficult to gauge, you know. I mean, but still the best person to gauge is the person who's lived in it. Yep. Um, so even if you're wrong, you still have a probably a better uh, chance of gauging your family's reaction than we would at our email list. So if, if you write to us, we'd probably just write back to say, consider the consequences and make that decision very prudently. Read, read Greta Christina's book on coming out, which, yeah. you know, talks about all the, all the people she interviewed and of all of them, only one of them yeah. regretted it and wished it had never happened. The rest of them may have gone through difficulties, but things turned out better in the end, or at least it, they were fine with yeah. the results at the end. Because uh, I don't know your family. And, and we think about it in terms of children so often or young mm -hmm. people coming out. But, I mean, for spouses, it's it's a nightmare, too. And, and, and there have been a number of emails from people who, you know, we started off, we both believe the same thing. Yeah. Now I don't. Yeah. And we don't know what's going to happen with the relationship. Are we going to stay together? Are we going to get divorced? What are, mm -hmm. what are we going to teach the kids um, now that we believe different yeah. things? Um, Sometimes the other spouse that remains religious, it becomes like their whole mission and their whole focus to just, you know, reintegrate that, that distant spouse back into the fold to where they lose sight of any other aspects of the relationship. Yeah, they're terrified of what, you know, oh, we used to both yeah. believe and we were kind of half-ass Easter Christian, yeah. Easter Christmas Christians, and uh, but now my spouse doesn't believe anymore and I'm terrified of the impact this is going to have on my kids. So now I've got my kids in church mm -hmm. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday yep. night, you know. Uh, we've got to work extra hard right. to undermine the Which then uh, freaks out the, the other seasons. spouse yes. because they're just like, I talked to my spouse about it, and then they became uber-religious, and they weren't before, and I don't know what happened and, you know, why they've kind of gone nuts now. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's it's a mess, some of the things that it does. I have a friend of mine who used to blog as an atheist, and her spouse was supposedly okay with it for the, the entire time. As soon as they got divorced... He suddenly became uh, super Catholic in order to win a custody battle. Ah. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, he got a, a judge. And I think that it's hard to, hard to say what, what the likelihood is of a judge going along with this. But if you, 
If you live in a country where the, most people believe or have been indoctrinated into this idea that there's something good or positive about belief in general, even if they're not really that into it, yeah. then being viewed as the godless <coughs> heathen may put you on the on the losing side of a custody case or, or similar issues. Yeah, when I I was uh, sat in with nonprofits recently, and one of the articles that I brought in had um, like a recent survey where people were queried about different attitudes about religious belief and religious practice, and it was surprising. I, I wish I could remember the percentage. It was like a very high percentage of people who were secular who rated that uh, religious belief or faith and attendance at church is you know admirable. And it's like these are people that are secular, like secular-minded, and uh, and still pay this this homage to um, to religious, just simple, simply religious facade. Yeah, and it's you know that that is something that I think uh, it's going to be a little hard to fix. You know, I have atheist friends and and people I've worked conventions and stuff with who will talk about how wonderful the Sermon on the Mount is. And I didn't think so. So one of the things I did is I went to ironchariots.org and I did a verse-by-verse deconstruction of the Sermon on the Mount showing, you know, hey, here's some good things. Here's some not-so-good things. Here's some pretty bad things. Here's some encouragement to for a victim-like mentality of, you know, hey, if you're, if you're living right by God, the whole world's going to hate you. So if the whole world hates you, that must mean you're living right by God, which, wow, talk about in, encouraging this, this sort of victim mentality. Um, and I think maybe we need to to do more consciousness raising in that area uh, that, you know, religion and morality or religion and being a good person uh, don't go hand in hand and that there's nothing particularly laudable about uh, what I view as gullibility or buying into superstitions. And if, if we can demonstrate the things that you're talking about, about how religions don't uh, actually care about encouraging a a healthy family relationship, except in the arena where it benefits the religions. Yeah. Um, I think that might go a long way. And I don't want to say that all religions sure. and all families are, you know, uh, guilty of this. I mean, I honestly think the more fundamentalist they become, um, you know, the, the higher, the, the more letters we we get. We don't get too many letters from people who are like, hey, my family's very laid back about religion. And <laughs> we go to the UU church down the road and I'm really scared to tell them I'm atheist. I mean, we don't get that letter. Ever, <laughs> so um, it's so it's almost always you know my dad's a deacon <laughs> or yeah. I'm a deacon and I don't know what to do now um, and so those are the letters we're getting people that are very involved in very uh, evangelical sex. The good news is the world's changing. Uh, the, you know the the nuns, the nones, the ones with no religious affiliation, are an incredibly uh, rapidly increasing group by most polls. You have. Recovering from religion, uh, you know, a social network for people who are recovering from religion. There's the hotline project as part of that. There's a secular therapist project for people who actually need therapy and don't want to be told that, that what they need is Jesus or that they need to go to church. Um, you've got, oh, what was the other one I was going to name? What's the matter, Tracy? You can't read I my mind? I don't know. Um, in addition to those, uh, there are a number of other uh, groups out there that are focused on this. You know, the, the, the opportunity to transition. We're building more local communities so people mm-hmm. have a place to land when they find their way out. Um, and we're kind of changing the perception. And, the, and what we're seeing is that younger people, in particular, seem to be uh, more, more responsive, more, responsive, more yeah. willing to come out, more comfortable with coming out. Their, their views are changing yeah. on certain things. More open to having friends who are atheists if they're not. It's yeah. it's interesting to see you know how the trend continues and you know whether or not 
you know, does it stall out at some point? Do people get to some age and then a, a switch flips back? You know, we don't know. Um, but the, I, I'm convinced that the best thing we can continue to do to change the world, to put a better face on um, secularism, the atheists, is to be out. Anybody who can be out, who's comfortable being out, so that it's very hard to vilify the people that you know, yeah. uh, that you know to be good people. You want to throw a caution to the wind and try to take some calls? Yeah, and we've got a list now. Yeah, so this should be Zach in uh, Charlotte. How you doing? Can you hear us? Hello, Zach. I'm I'm going to put Zach back on hold. Um, That's too bad. Just in case, but we'll go to Emily in Wisconsin. Can you hear us? Oh man. Sorry. Try again. Oh, try again. Okay. Uh, we'll try for Zach again. Hello? Zach, you're on the air. All right. So that's not Ooh. working. Let me, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go through all the lines and we'll try. We've got, is it Sam in New York? Yeah. Hey, hey. we got somebody. Thank you, Sam. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. How about you guys? Okay. Could be better, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, phone's not working, huh? Having a little trouble, yeah. Well, yours is, so I don't know why any of the others wouldn't be. Yeah, it's weird. Well, um, what I was uh, going to ask you guys is, the, uh, what are the origins of um, circumcision in the Bible? What do, how did that come about? Uh, it came about from the covenant with Abram, mm -hmm. who was renamed Abraham. And basically, God kind of uh, pulled Abram aside, said, "Hey, I'm going to make a deal with you. You're going to get all this cool stuff, and your descendants are going to be, you know, my favored, awesome people. But first, I need you to kill your own son." And then, when he obeyed and tried to do that, and God intervened to stop him, uh, then he said, "Okay, this guy will pretty much do anything I ask. So I want you to cut off your foreskin, and then all of your." Family and slaves and every descendant forever will also have to cut off their foreskin. Uh, it's almost like God just made foreskins so they could be cut off. He had that foresight. There was a plan. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I, I agree. I find it uh, patently ridiculous, which is why I made fun of it in a, in a talk that I did uh, in Australia. So. Uh, and the reason I ask is because I have a brother who's always been kind of shy with girls. Um, like, he, like when I try to set him up with somebody, he always just says, no, nah, I'm all right, that kind of thing. But the other week, uh, he confided in me and told me that, and not to get too nasty about things, but that uh, his circumcision made him uh, uh, not feel anything. He lost pretty much all his feeling down there. And, yeah, so there, there's uh, a there's a lot of there's a lot of problems in this area, um, and not everybody's in disagreement. There there were some studies that showed potential health benefits, but those studies are dubious at best. Um, one of the things that you know they they talked about was was actually keeping it clean, and I can speak as uh, you know uh, I was a teenager at one point. I'm pretty sure it's not that hard to get somebody to clean their penis in the shower. Uh, right. I, I think it's it's like vigorously cleaned on on a regular basis. But uh, one of the things is that 
people, you know, when when this came about as a kind of Jewish ritual, um, it needed to be done, you know, by the eighth day. Uh, and this, this is how we ended up with this kind of automatic circumcision for infants. And it's something that I'm vehemently opposed to. If somebody, you know, when they reach the age of reason and consent, decide that they would rather be circumcised, then I'm fine with them doing that on their own. And I don't see any good reason for doing it, you know, as a de facto standard to anybody or to infants, um, especially without consent. I don't, I, I, I the benefits, uh, I don't think are there. And I'm a big fan of people being the, you know, the sovereign ruler of their own body. And if you're, you know, really concerned about health issues, then it seems to me that you could discuss it with the individual before they become sexually active and allow them to make a decision on their own. Um, I don't, uh, I don't want to equate it with like female genital mutilation, which is quite often and almost always far more impactful with regard to the, the individual's ability because there's, there's millions of circumcised men who can still feel and have sex and, and function. Um, but you, your friend, your brother, uh, has an example of something where it went horribly, horribly wrong, which to me is just one more reason not to be running around doing it until somebody can actually consent to it. I'm in total agreement. Uh, I asked my and you're mother, right. actually, why she did it. Uh, I don't know. I can, it's weird to ask a mother that thing, but uh, I just had to know. And she, she threw out the health thing that, you know, it would be, she just thought it would be healthier. Her doctors were saying that. Yeah, and yeah so, she was probably told that. I mean, she probably was told that. And, and a lot of people just do it just because everybody does it. So there's another aspect to all of this, which is once it becomes the norm, then there, you know, when you're in the shower with all the other boys and you see that your penis looks different from everybody else's, um, there are people who prefer circumcised penises and there are people who prefer uncircumcised. And when you, when you shift what the norm is, you are basically putting everybody else in some other category where they uh, may appear to be, you know, freakish, even though they're the one that's still intact. Um, or vice versa. And, and this is why, you know, there's so many issues with this that go to body image, that go to people's self-confidence, that go to, you know, not just whether or not do you feel pleasure and can you engage in sexual activity, but it's are you comfortable enough with how your genitalia appears that you're willing to share it with somebody else? I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, it's not a naturalistic fallacy that I'm, that I'm using to say we should just leave people intact. I'm talking about an issue of consent. And what's happened for years is that people just did it. And sometimes parents weren't even consulted. You know, hey, you had a baby boy? Cool. We're going to go ahead and do this because we know everybody wants it done and it's just the thing we do and we can charge you extra money for it, uh, by the way, because we're going to do one more procedure on you during the, or just after the delivery. And it became just the thing to do, and I think it's way well, past even, time that even we Even some, some of the procedures that we used to do routinely on children, like removing tonsils if they were in the hospital for something else. I mean, we no longer preemptively just take your tonsils yeah. out. Um, you know, that kind of, there's more of a, a watch and wait mentality, I think, now in medical ethics, where it's like, let's just see if, if a problem 
is going to occur. And this is one of those lingering areas where we seem to just say, let's just head off problems by just removing it, um, even though there's no medical need to remove it at this point, and it seems to be purely cosmetic. And, and lastly, uh, I don't know, I don't know your, your brother's actual situation, mm-hmm. but there are, uh, there are plastic surgeons and those who will perform procedures to replace foreskin and, and do corrective surgery. I don't know if it would, if it's possible for, for him to regain feeling and, and become functional. Um, but it's something potentially worth looking into. Thanks. Um, yeah, the other thing, well, when he was telling me this, he was also saying that it had other effects on him, that uh, he would use drugs. He had, he had problems with drugs and alcohol for a few, uh, well, for almost a decade. And um, I don't know if he's just using this as an excuse, but he kind of says, Does it matter? You know, I feel like I'm never going to get married. I feel like, yep. uh, you know, all that stuff and just see is just kind of always down in the dumps about that. So I never knew, but, um, I mean, it's just terrible. I wish they would wait for, you know, like you guys said, they can ask or, you know, so you can make your own decision about that. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I don't know if you, you were going to jump in on that. No, no, I agree. I, I was just going to say, you know, the, People turn to alcohol and drugs for a number of issues, and I'm not a mental health expert, but it's probably a good idea if he actually speaks to somebody about it. Um, because if he's aware that his uh, his concerns about his genitalia and whether or not he's going to you know, find a partner, those, if those things are driving him to do more harm to his life, then he might benefit from from speaking to somebody, and this is the type of you know harm I was talking about when I talked about body image issues, and whether or not you're you know you're comfortable with how you work, how you look, how you function. But thanks for the call, right. Sam. Okay, thanks. Take care. All right, you too. All right, should we try Zach again? You there, Zach? Uh, yes, I'm hey, hey, thanks for waiting. How you guys doing? Pretty good. good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. <laughs> Uh, Matt, we talked on Facebook the other day, by the way. Okay. I'm that, I'm that dude. Uh, I was just wondering, um, what, what you thought brought the universe into existence? Don't know. You don't know? Nope. Do you? Would you admit that it would have to be something beyond the universe's characteristics? I, I'm not quite sure what you mean by beyond the universe's characteristics. See, I don't know enough about the actual, see, we can't get back beyond the Planck time, first of all. And I don't think I have enough information about how the universe was formed to make any sort of statement about it at all, other than we don't yet have an explanation. Well, the, the way I understand it is the universe hasn't always been here. It actually came into being. So that would imply it, that it... It depends very much on on what you actually mean. So we have, for example, Big Bang Cosmology, which describes the expansion of the universe beginning at about the Planck time, but it doesn't actually tell you what the beginning was, and we don't seem to be able to actually investigate that. We've got exactly one universe. We don't have a time machine. Um, And so there are a number of different things, including multiverses, where there are universes popping up from different places. There are a number of different possible ideas, and... I don't know that I have enough information to make any kind of, you know, declarative statement about which one is more probable. Why does it matter? But 
in every theory, even in even in, say the multiverse, when you when you can see that they're they're implying that it can't the universe originated from a place beyond its current space time dimension. It, the, even the multiverse would be a place of a, a different space time or a. Different I, I would agree that the multiverse model would have a universe originating out of something that was not. What the universe is, yes, but, exactly. but that's not okay. that's not the only model, and and I don't know that it's the only possibility. I'm wondering, I'm wondering why why this is a big deal. I mean, well, do, do I was, you do you know how the universe came into existence? Uh, all I know is that most physicists in modern cosmology says that it came into existence. So, so that, that th- there's a there's point, a description. There's no space, time, or dimension. So, so no, there well, is so a you know state that, in which there is no Zach, space time. So yeah. yeah, no. See, when they talk about when they talk about space-time with respect to our universe, that's the space and time of our universe uh, either did not exist or existed in some other form that we don't know about. Um, but so we have this space that we're inhabiting, the, our local presentation of the universe, and even, you know, like they'll talk about time beginning with that, but they're talking about our local time. Everything is in terms of the local presentation of our universe. Now, the, all the models point to that coming into existence or beginning or expanding or coming out of something else we don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm still like, I'm still wondering if you have an explanation for that and why it's an issue if I don't. Well, it's not an issue if you don't. I was just okay. putting forth the idea that if, if, if you understand that the universe came into being, then that would also imply that there was a state in which no space or time existed. Sure. I, so there would be something greater beyond it. No, 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 no. Even if I were to, even if I were to, even if I were to concede that the universe came into existence at some point under the way you've described it, that doesn't mean that there's something greater. First of all, greater is not defined. I don't know, I don't know what. So let's let's say let's let Zach let's say for a second just hypothetically that the entirety of our universe all of space and all of time at some point did not exist and it came into existence what the, what conclusion can you then draw from that You can draw from that that, that there is a an, a a place or a place in my case what, my what is a place an entity that what, is what, beyond Zach, our dimension Zach, of space and time. Zach, what, is it, what does it mean to say there's a place when you just said that at one point space didn't exist? Do you have any well, examples of a place without a space? That's what I'm saying. I mean, I couldn't describe to you the details of that different form of space and well, time. I, I'm talking about the fact that the, the language... No, no, no. The, the fact that it's the language you're using borrows from things without demonstrating it. So when we talk about there's a place... We are always talking about a place within this universe, a space. I don't even know that the concept of outside the uh, outside of space time makes any sense. I don't know how. Anything... Of course it does. When it's been proven that space time came into being, but that doesn't. Even if it came into being, that doesn't mean there's something outside of space time. Oh, I mean, there has to be some sort of something that Why? caused it to exist. Why? And what does it mean for something to exist outside of space and time when existence is necessarily temporal? It would it would mean that there's a model such as the multiverse or some. But that's not that necessarily not outside of space time. time. That's not necessarily outside of space time. That's outside would, of our I local. I would caution that you review the science if I, you don't I, think that's something beyond space and time. 
Okay, I, uh, we're done. I mean, you know, if you're just going to caution me to review the science, um, one of us has actually reviewed the science, and the other one is making extrapolations that they can't justify. You want to guess which one's which? All right, well, would, well I'll present something different if you don't want to go with the cosmological argument. Um, does the Fibonacci sequence mean anything to you? That's yeah. Found within our universe? Sure. What about it? it? Would you say that's a sign of intelligence? No. Like a, perhaps a creator? No. Me. Uh, what about information found within DNA that can only come from an intelligent mind? No. As far as we've observed, how did, how did you how did you determine that 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 sort of information can only come from an intelligent mind when all observations about that particular information shows that it comes about by natural processes? We've never seen it come about by natural processes. You see, we've you see DNA replicate all the time and change, but never come about originally. Okay. We've only so what? So basically, so basically, basically, you're saying that the origination, the origination of DNA, which we don't know, we don't understand, we haven't observed that exactly. comes, comes. Okay, but you've you've cracked the code and you've determined what it must be and that it must be from no, an no, intelligence. No, no, no. I'm not saying I've determined 100. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if it's 100, percent Zach. I'm. You're saying that it must be from an intelligence. How did you reach I'm that conclusion? You're, you're not. The type of information that we observe within DNA has only been seen to come from a mind. No, it, that's when just has wrong. Been Go ahead. To come from a, when, when has DNA come from a mind? Like, when have you observed that any more than we've observed it arise in nature outside that's, of like existing chains? I'm saying we've, we have observed neither. But Wait, I'm so why would you make assumptions? Right. The type of information that is seen within DNA has no. only been observed. Has only been seen. What do you mean, type of information? The type of information in DNA is DNA information, and it, and I have never seen it come from a mind ever. I, I mean, I'm not saying I have. I'm saying that. Yeah. So why would you be saying that? So if decoded you, <laughs> information that completes a goal, like a recipe or a book. Well, that, okay. Oh, recipe is different than DNA. Recipe. Re, I don't see recipes generating themselves from other recipes, like out in nature. But I do see DNA replicating itself in nature. So a recipe is not quite uh, on par with DNA. It's, yeah, that's that's true. But I'm saying the nature of the information itself. Like you just you just agree that it okay, wait, wait. Let me let me run this by you, right? Okay, we see it, if if it rains, we might observe that a pond forms. Correct? Correct. Correct. So we watch this pond form in nature. Mhm. Um, sometimes there are ponds that exist that we didn't see form, right? Correct. And Sometimes there are people that build ponds. Or like I can go to the store and get a plastic pool and blow it up and make my own backyard pond out of a plastic pool, right? But even in the pond analogy, would you would you assume that the water is always needed to rush into a lower level or something like that? Wait, no, like the, the, the question that I was gonna pool? ask the question that I was gonna ask is if you see a person make a pond, make an artificial pond. Correct. Does that mean that then we should say that all ponds are artificially made by a mind and that there, a pond cannot just simply arise naturally by natural processes? Uh, I would not think that's correct at all. Okay, so if people can make information and relay information such as a recipe, isn't it also possible that they can arise naturally and just because you see minds creating them, that doesn't mean that all of them are created by minds? Well, I couldn't say it's possible for it to arise naturally if I've never observed that. Okay, either. but what I'm saying is that we have examples of things that people can create artificially that we know arise naturally. 
And you're saying that because a mind can create a code, that all codes must be created by a mind, or that at least that's how you're I, getting to the idea that a mind would be creating DNA. Could I reverse that analogy on you a bit sure. and say that when you see a pond form, it's water is always required? Sure. And sure. when you see information that, that, that not, not all information, but information that is coded and actual, actually completes a goal, the only time you've ever observed what, that what's is the goal? A human what's mind the goal? Involved. What's the goal? Well, no, because human minds and didn't most, make DNA, and what I'm but we you don't know that. I mean, not well, not, well, not human <laughs> minds, obviously. Okay, but but what I'm saying is that simply observing that a human being can do something is not evidence that only a mind can do it. We mimic things in nature all the time. All the I time. would agree with that statement. I would, I, but I would also say that. The only time we've ever seen coding information that completes a goal is with a human intelligence. If or you ignore all the examples yeah. that are not human That's, intelligent created, yeah, you're you have to throw out everything that disagrees example. with your your like what? I mean, just like put, DNA. Like DNA. <laughs> human minds but, did not produce DNA, and we do see it in the natural world around us. So, so let me let me ask this side question. Do you have any evidence of minds that can create information outside of the thinking beings that live on this planet? Uh, without bringing up extraterrestrials, I would say no. Do you have evidence for extraterrestrials? Yeah, I don't have any examples of extraterrestrials. Uh, I think they're pretty well documented, actually. You think extraterrestrials are pretty well documented? Well, in like uh, if you look at undisclosed military files and strange videos and et cetera, yeah. And we've left the stratosphere. <laughs> like... I, I, I'm torn between hanging up or just letting you talk until you continue to make yourself sound ridiculous. What? Why on earth do you find? Until. Why on earth do you find? <laughs> well. Why on earth do you find the stories of extraterrestrials? I'm assuming that you're fine. You think extraterrestrials have visited the Earth? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, you just talked about classified military documents. Would there be classified military documents about extraterrestrials that didn't visit the Earth? Well, I mean, well, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that say like, oh yeah, they came in. Zach, you just talked about out. you just talked about classified military documents. Well but, documented. Well, well documented. Sorry. <laughs> well documented. And what, what the hell were they documented that documenting that you found so compelling? If it's not aliens visiting Earth. Well, I mean, if you're, I mean, I, I would. Say so there's a difference between like visiting the Earth extensively, like on ancient aliens and stuff like that. Zach, what and, the like, fuck is well documented? Why can't you just answer the simple question? I asked, what what is it that was well documented that you find convincing? I mean, there's just been several stories of I don't know, like planes chasing them around. Bye. Like that. A story is not. A, Thank a you well for well documenting your thing. credulity. All right. Well, that was an interesting call. Yeah. Well. I and you know I, whatever. I, I'm 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 actually I'm glad Zach called. It's. I'm not. I I, I can't lie. Uh, I can lie. I, I just won't. Uh, so yeah, this this thing. So I, I loved your example about the ponds because it exposes a particular fallacy and it exposes the direction of fallacy. And when Zach tried to to kind of respin it. Uh, saying, oh, but we, see, it'd be like him saying, we've only ever observed ponds coming from right, human beings. Right. Which you were going to get to. Which is, if we'd only ever discovered, we'd only ever witnessed human beings creating ponds and no ponds coming about naturally, and we had no reason to think that, yeah. what would our conclusion be? Well, we might mistakenly 
conclude that this one's more probable, just because that's what we've seen. But that is that is basically the no black swan fallacy, that all the swans I've seen are white, therefore there are no black swans. Uh, you, you can't use that as a foundation. And when you start talking about the information coded in DNA uh, to achieve a goal, you're already making all kinds of mistakes. Because there's, first of all, there's disagreement about whether or not the genetic code should be viewed as a code and viewed as information in the same light as other things. Because we're really what we're talking about are chemicals and chemical interactions. Now, when Zach extends this to, oh, they achieve a goal. Well, no. A yeah. goal yeah. requires forethought. It, you know, a goal, when, when, when a rock starts rolling down the hill, it doesn't have a goal of reaching the bottom. Okay, goals are things that are set by minds, and this is the mistake in viewing DNA in this in this manner that Zach was talking about when he says, "Oh, it achieves a goal." No, it really doesn't. It's not like evolution in the natural world has some plan, and we are the pinnacle of it. Like humans were the goal. Um, we tend to look at things and stick those words on them to make them easier for us to understand. Like the a gene has a goal of reproducing itself. Does it? Or is that just what it does? Right. The idea that there's a goal there pollutes the conversation and is what allows you to get to, oh, well, it's information and it has a goal, so therefore it comes from a mind. You're, cl- you're imbuing it with a goal yeah, because you're observing language. what it does. It's loaded language. But. All right, so we got uh, Ben from El Salvador. How are you? Fine, thank you. A bit humid, but okay. Yes, um, my question is about... Um, what what do you say about the subjugation of natives in America by the conquistadors using Christianity? It was bad. <laughs> yes, yes, but um, over the ages, how come, at least it, it, to my ignorance, how come Christianity has, has per- continued when obviously it's just some stuff in, in worse situations, both sociologically and politically. So when you're selling something like an afterlife, that appeals to people. When you're selling something like hope, that appeals to people, whether or not it's ultimately true. So one of the, one of the things that we see in religions, some of them are more forceful, more, some of them have more carrot and some of them have more stick. In other words, some of them offer rewards that are appealing, whether or not they're actually real, nobody knows. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them offer the threats, and some of them offer a mix. And so, and it helps if you have all the guns, um, and you're able to kill off a generation and then take all the children and raise them in your monastic schools. That really helps to uh, subjugate an indigenous population if you want to convert them to your religion. Because people who, so there are people in groups, and these mm-hmm. and these individual groups may do absolutely horrific things. Um, take, you know, ISIS running around destroying archaeological, uh, uh, historic, uh, sites that conflict with their religion. Yes. I find that absolutely reprehensible. Do you think that they think they're evil? Uh, yes. You to think, me, you think, are. you think that ISIS thinks that they in fact are evil? That ISIS is evil? Oh, no, no. Oh, I think okay. That, 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 right. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's a subject disagreement there. So, 
So the people who are doing this don't think that they're doing something evil. They think they're doing something good. What's happened is that their religious views have polluted their brain to the point where they think that evil things are actually good. That, that's interesting because we have a, a slight gang problem. And what you see with many of these gangs is that they do use religion within their own cliques. But most of it, they used to, to justify forgiveness for their actions, regardless how violent or cruel they are. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 I definitely see some parallels with what you're seeing, but it's... It, it does, I, though. I it does, you, though, because when you take a look at gangs, um, I, I think gang members, even the most violent gang members running around doing stuff, don't look at themselves as evil. They have a worldview where they have... They view themselves as the victim of a society and they were responding to the society that put them in a terrible situation and their violence is justified. This is, this is payback. This is, I'm getting what I deserved. This is, you took things from me and I'm now taking them back, whether it's real or and true or not. Nobody, yeah. I, almost nobody thinks they're evil. I'm sure there's somebody, probably, I'll probably get an email from somebody who's proud of the fact that they're evil. But generally speaking, <laughs> Nobody thinks they're evil, even if we would view them that way. Nobody's going gung ho okay. doing stuff yeah. anyway. Like. And and when you when you mix that, when you when you give someone a positive goal, like hey, Jesus just loves people and wants to save everybody, but there's this convoluted pathway that we have to go through, and some of what he wants you to do may appear to be evil, but ultimately it'll be, do good because you can come up with examples like, um, you know, would it be wrong for me to stick a knife in your throat? Well, not if you need an emergency tracheotomy. And so once you convince people that roughly what they're doing is giving the world an emergency tracheotomy, all of a sudden all of their evil is is good in their eyes. That's 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 the poison that religion injects society with. Because it yeah. is concerned about, you know... And if you can convince them that the people that they're harming are evil and, and uh, yeah. you know, doing damage and harm and deserve to die... and that Yeah. If somebody's standing over a little kid and is about to plunge a knife into the little kid, all of a sudden you feel like you're justified to just shoot them in the head. Well, if you take that literal situation and turn it into a metaphor, where now it's perhaps the government has a metaphorical knife at your kid's throat, then you mm -hmm. have a justification to oppose the government. And in some cases, that's the case. But whether or not the situation is accurately represented is, is the issue. Okay, okay. Yeah, because like what we get here, believe it or not, we do get creationists, but they're, they're not that vocal. Because it's a normal, it's perceived as normal to believe that, and the absence sure. of science in schools. But it's surprising to me that in some areas they they have this vacuum of, of empathy. Because recently we had a this trial where this woman she miscarried, but people interpret that as she uh, deliberately and with conscience killed her baby, and she spent years going in trials in and out of prison because they don't understand the concept of miscarriage and abortion, that one is just a coincidence, and the other one is that has a deliberate thought of doing so. Yeah, if you're talking about the case, and, if you're talking about the case that I heard about, she's actually convicted and in prison at this moment, right? No? Was that yes, ever? sadly. Yes, yeah, she is. Okay. Uh, okay. Yes. He said she is. So maybe we're talking about different cases, or th or maybe you're talking about a different case. I have somebody shaking their head, who who I trust <laughs> and adore. Just oh. say. Anyway, thanks for calling, Ben. I appreciate it. 
I love the show, man. Love the show. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for hanging with us during our our hiatus. Yeah, I was. Uh, I did. 20 days in Australia, came back for four days, then went to Memphis for a week for the American Atheist Convention, came back and did the University of Texas at San Antonio, and then a Skype thing with the University of Illinois, and this coming week I leave for Manchester. Um, I'll be in Manchester, United Kingdom, uh, for QEDCon. So, um, and I'll get to, I'm going to shoot an interview with uh, Professor A.C. Grayling while I'm there. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah. How do you not love a trip like that, even if it's just a few days? Um, but hopefully we'll, uh, we'll continue to fix, uh, fix phones and we, I think this has gone incredibly well considering <laughs> how things looked about well, two minutes before rolling. we went live. So We've let's get, uh, more people been waiting. uh, so Emily, are you still there? Whoops. There we go. Now, now the, after saying that the phone thing's not working. Is that, that's two, right? Line two. Line, just set line two live. If, if, there we go. Emily, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. thanks for waiting. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I was wondering if you guys had any views on whether or not atheists can benefit from, um, like, 12-step programs that seem to say that you, you know, they seem to require a belief in God. And I wanted to know what you guys think about that. Can someone benefit from such a program? I yes. think, yeah, the answer would have to be yes. But I, I think that the programs themselves are not really um, as as good as they sometimes claim. Um, Every time I talk about AA, I get hate mail. Yeah, and there are, <laughs> I, I know people who, uh, you know, are secular-minded who both say that they really benefited from the support and other people who say that it was a mess for them and didn't help and that, the, you know, they did better off on their own or with other types of support. Um, the 12-step programs are, I, I don't know, I mean, I suppose they can be supportive. And if somebody wants support and they don't have that support anywhere else, um, you know, maybe maybe that program helps them. I definitely, like I say, I've talked to a few people who said that they did kind of help, feel helped by the network of people. But as far as I think the efficacy of the programs themselves, I've not really heard too much positive about that. Let me let me see if I can address this topic and at least change the nature of the hate mail that I'm going to get. Huh? I okay. despise twelve-step programs with a passion. Uh, beyond words, uh, because when I look through the 12 steps, I, I see uh, something that encourages uh, victimhood. I can't, you know, I can't do this. I can't solve it on my own, which I recognize. I'm not saying that people don't need help, I'm, but when they start applying it to a higher power. But here's what, here's what I've been told about AA and, and other 12-step programs. The, what kind of group you're in is going to vary from place to place. There are some that place far more importance on the higher power and whether or not it's God or God as you uh, view him or higher power could be, I guess, your chandelier in some groups because um, it's higher and has light. All right. Anyway, uh, the jokes don't work when you have to explain them. The other thing is that um, these, the effectiveness of a group is – Dependent upon the individual, how motivated they are, and then, and the type of people who happen to be in that group. And so what I think is happening is that 
I, I have concerns that people are replacing one addiction for another. They're replacing whatever their substance that they're addicted to with an addiction to the group and the program. Now, I will say this before I go any further. If you are in a 12-step program and it's working, good for you. You're probably better off sober even if you manage to get some wooey crap stuffed in your head as well. If you are currently addicted and a 12-step program is the only reasonable program for you in your area that you can engage with, you know, if there's no secular sobriety or anything like that, by all means, I would rather have you sober and healthy and feeling better even if you end up believing in a God, provided that that doesn't also, you know, catastrophically descend into a whole bunch of other harms. Um, it's not, I'm not opposed to people getting help. I want people to get help. I would just prefer that we learn more about addiction, learn, learn more about substance abuse, learn more about how the human brain works, why some people are more prone to things than others, and teach people how to help themselves with reason and science and good evidence. Because one of the things that we do know fairly well about AA and other 12-step programs is that they are not very forthcoming and honest about their efficacy. The rates of recidivism seem very low for those programs because in their view, if you go out and start drinking again, then you've failed the program. The program didn't fail you. And I think that is a ridiculously naive and inaccurate way of assessing the effectiveness of a program. But we're completely out of time. Uh, so far as I know, we'll be back again next week. Thanks, everybody, for calling in. Thanks for people hanging out in the studio. Thanks, Tracy. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.